Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 28. I am your host, Travis Streb. I've got a great duo on the podcast today. I've got Jennifer Ross and Michael Voss, and they are from rock.voss. They're a super lean, super talented communications agency based in Minneapolis, and they're also uh, authors of two business novels. Um, I did not even know that was a genre until they sent me a copy of the book, their most recent book called Operation Cluster Puck. Um, the way I talk about it, it's like it's kind of like the novelization of the movie The Office, except it, even, it hits even closer to home. You know, some of the characters and the stories, they're so reminiscent of corporate life, and um, they're very talented writers. We, we spent most of the podcast, though, talking about communication. And in particular, we spent time talking about, you know, tuning men up in the corporate world to be better communicators and, um, and better leaders as a result. You know, there's just so much advice out there for women around communication. And um, I wanted to turn the tables and, you know, we need some help, too. And um, there's lots of blind spots men have around communication. So I asked the two of them to dig in and man they did they've got over 40 years of experience between the two of them and they got all kinds of good nuggets for um, men communicating in the world of work so i know you're going to love this cast super practical and these two are awesome guests for the show so let's go ahead and jump into episode 28. Um, Jennifer and, and Michael, I am, I'm actually, <laughs> it's kind of funny to be talking to you from Vancouver and you're in Minneapolis because you know, I finished reading your book, Operation Cluster Puck, and as a good portion of it actually happens in my city, um, which is, you know, kind of funny. And I, I'm, I'm interested to know the, the book, by the way, um, I do want to highlight for my listeners, Operation Cluster Puck. It's, I'll be honest, it's not a book I would have picked up right away because I didn't even know that the genre existed. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll put it this way for anyone who's curious. It's kind of like, it's like the novelization of the TV show, The Office, um, with, with actually more depth of character. And I'd say um, some almost, almost, almost um, funny because it's so true about the realities of corporate life. So... Um, I got a kick out of it. I spent some time working in corporate and, and like you have worked um, consulting back to corporations and there were way too many things that were uh, close to home. <laughs> I had to, I had to laugh out loud on the airplane a few times reading it. Um, so tell me though, you've, you've both had backgrounds working in corporate communications. You've written a couple of novels now and now you're um, out forging a path with rock.boss. How did that all come to be? Like, how do you go from, uh, from communications executives to, you know, novelists, and now I'm um, working in consulting. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Both Mike and I are here, like you said, in uh, sunny, beautiful Minneapolis, um, where half of our story takes place. And um, well, how it happened was, I think, kind of the age-old story that uh, we had worked very good, long careers, and then we got completely burned out by our corporate jobs. And uh, they were big jobs. We, um, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, sleepless nights, 24-7 on call kind of jobs. And um, we had had a particularly horrible meeting at the corporate office here where um, 
we uh, basically, you know, people were sleeping in the meeting and arguing <laughs> and we just, it was awful. And, and actually the very first pages of Operation Clusterpuck is, is very much based in real life in that meeting that, that made us eventually quit our jobs. Um, but we, we, we did, we, we escaped that horrible soul sucking meeting. We went to a bar patio here in lovely Minneapolis and um, we decided that we had stockpiled so many stories and so many insider things of what happens at the top of companies and, uh, and had met so many characters along the way. We said, you know what, someone should write a book about this. And you know what, we should write a book about this. And that was a, a whole lot of years ago. Um, it, that's what started our first book, which is BS Incorporated, uh, and then the sequel, Operation Cluster Puck. And, um, and then from there, you know, I, you know frankly, um, unless you're Stephen King, you, you don't make um, a ton of money writing books, no matter how great and wonderful they are. Um, and so we, we dived back into the corporate world um, as consultants um, so that we could use our expertise in our careers um, full of expertise to help companies communicate better. All right. Wow. Anything you want to add there, Mike? It sounds like that's a pretty, um, pretty, pretty fulsome story. I think I would just say that we consider ourselves to be the good kinds of consultants, not, not the <laughs> soulless robotic consultancies that so often uh, dominate the, uh, the business landscape. So we, it's just the two of us. We're a two-person agency, and we really um, enjoy um, getting to know our clients well and helping them, you know, collaborating with them to help solve their problems. And if you well, are a consultant out there listening um, and you read our first book, BS Incorporated, the consultants are very much the villains of that book. So we apologize in advance um, to any consultants <laughs> out there, but they were based uh, very much on some of the worst of the worst behaviors from consultants we had seen. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, well, the same, same with Operation Clusterpuck. I hope that's the, um, the exception, although there, was, there were many things that, um, that I've also seen in that book. But, you know, the it's one of the things that I've found in, you know, reading through, reading the book, obviously, and, and then reading some of, some of your other writing online, it's like, um, you guys are funny. <laughs> I mean, there's some, there's, there's some good humor in there. So if you can find a consultant that's got a good sense of humor, it's probably a good sign. Um, so I want to, I'm, I'm, I want to know a little bit more about the, um, the ins and outs of Operation Clusterpuck. So um, what I, what I made up right away, and I'm, I'm sure this is not true, was that, that the two of you are the main characters, but I, um, I don't know why that stuck in my head, but you know, I saw your bios and then read the book. So those were the two images I had in my head. Is, is that, is that the truth? Certainly we, uh, we like to say that um, we share a lot of DNA with our two protagonists. Anna <laughs> and Will. So, um, you know, and, and part of it is it's just um, easier and I think more effective to write about what you know. So if you can um, take a look at your own thoughts and feelings about, about a given situation and then you, you, uh, you know, fictionalize the, the last 25 to 30% of it. But in terms of um, how we approach our careers, I think um, Jennifer um, is, is someone who is a, is a lot like Anna, a little more career focused and ambitious. And I was a little more like Will in my corporate career in which I would just sort of go with the flow and go wherever the company asked me to go and take whatever role the company asked me to take. And we've, we found that that was interesting and that there are probably a lot of people that fit into one of those two camps and not that those are the only two, um, but we definitely um, drew upon our own experiences for those two characters. And then as Jennifer said, um, for the surrounding characters, we we met so many interesting, smart, funny, and sometimes um, 
you know, unethical people. So it was really easy to sort of surround those two main characters with a real wide variety of people that anybody who worked in business would recognize. Yeah, I could, um, I definitely could, could uh, see a few of those characters in my, my former life. And then obviously in, in my work, um, doing coaching as well. So I do want, I want to talk about one of the characters in particular. So there's, um, there's Kirkland, who is the, he's kind of like the, the evil mastermind um, in, the, in the book and the villain in many, in many ways. But he's, he's got this, he, he takes over, you know, kind of in, in this terrible situation where the, you know, the, the co-founders of the company, one goes into a coma, the other one passes away. And he, you know, he's, he's like a tyrant. And part of it was, it was, you know, it was like, oh, I can't believe he's going to do that. But then the other part of it was like, wow, this is actually, this is kind of like the, the stereotypical, you know, power hungry, um, alpha male executive. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit more about that character and, you know, how it's shown up in your, in your corporate lives. Cause I certainly see a lot of it in my work and, um, part of me is, is hoping that it disappears soon. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, Kirkland um, very much uh, was born from all of the worst experiences we've had working with executives over the years. And between the two of us, you know, we've been in business more than 40 years. And so we've seen a lot of things. Um, we've also seen some bad behaviors behind closed doors and in boardrooms and meeting rooms that a lot of people aren't really privy to. And, um, and we took good notes. And, 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 you know, we've worked with some amazing leaders, some wonderfully, um, you know, giving and uh, personable and really strong, wonderful leaders, but they are just not as fun to write about. So Kirkland was really um, an amalgam of all of the worst behaviors we've seen with leaders, not based on any one person, but it's amazing and a little horrifying to me how identifiable he is that we have people who say, you know, clearly he's based on this person or clearly Kirkland is based on this most unethical, immoral leader or clearly Kirkland is this. And they're all naming very different people. Um, but, but that, I think, is, again, the, the, the horrifying part of Kirkland is that those kind of morally ambiguous and, and um, unethical types of leaders who are really in it just for the power um, are a little more common than you would hope. Yeah, it's certainly been my experience. Um, you know, most of my work is in in Canada, but corporate Canada and corporate America are uh, fairly similar. Um, yeah. Although, you, I mean, you do you do write about some differences, but I, actually, I mean, I wouldn't mind digging in a little bit more. I mean, you have you've you've both had so much time, you know, behind the curtain, as it were, in the corporate world, and you know, without, without going into like the worst of the worst, some of the, what are some of the, you know, common behaviors that you're seeing that people would be surprised at um, if they were, you know, not in that world? Yeah. You know, I think one of the, uh, the most common uh, behaviors that, that people aren't aware of that I was surprised to see earlier in my career is how much uh, senior executives will undermine one another. Um, they, they tend to be, you know, and again, we're talking about the, those who behave the worst. It, it's not true of all of them, of course, but they tend to be very ambitious. They all want to be CEO, either of the current company or of a company someday. 
And uh, rather than, you know, sometimes working together to make sure the business succeeds in a unified fashion, they might actually make a move or do something that makes another department or another leader look worse and make them look better. And we actually have a story, a uh, quick story about this, where uh, we were working for a company where uh, they brought in a new CEO from outside the company when there was a, a current executive who was a strong front runner for the job. And so the new CEO immediately identified the existing executive as a threat and made him work seven days a week on weekends, setting up meetings all days, Saturdays and Sundays, and was just going to make his life miserable until he left because he felt like he would always undermine the new CEO. Well, one day the, uh, the current executive, we'll call him Joe, goes into say Fred, the CEO's office, and says, you know, Fred, I'm sorry, I can't come to the budget meeting at five o'clock this Sunday. It's my son's birthday party. We're going to this local pizzeria. He's inviting all his friends. We're, we're just going to have to do the budget meeting a different day. And Fred said, well, you know, okay, I guess if that's the choice you want to make. So uh, Joe went back to his office, worked the rest of the afternoon at five o'clock. He went to the pizzeria and who did he see sitting at the table with the, the cupcakes and the pointy hats, but the CEO showed up, crashed his son's birthday party at the pizzeria and forced Joe to have the budget meeting right there. And of course, oh. <laughs> Joe left the company two weeks later. He put in his notice and left. Oh, that's a heartbreaker. Right? My goodness. And that, yeah. and that is a patently true story. It is absolutely- Start to finish, absolutely. 100% true. Oh, I mean, it's, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've found it, 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 it varies, you know, like you said that, you know, we're picking out kind of the worst of the worst, but even in that, you know, I've seen, I've seen examples of, of that going on. And, um, you know, it's part of the reason that this podcast exists is that, you know, I've got a different vision for in particular, what, what men at work can look like and, you know, what it, what it actually looks like to, to lead with, you know, lead with a whole heart. So there's, yeah, there's some times where you got to be firm and sometimes where you got to have some compassion. Um, well, maybe, why don't we flip that then? Maybe we can, we'll leave my listeners with some hope about the corporate world. <laughs> Do you guys, could you, can you share something, a particularly touching moment that you, that you may have uh, experienced in your, in your time? Yeah. And like I said, we, we have a lot of those and, and, you know, in Operation Cluster Puck, we really brought to the forefront, the character of Thomas Milligan, who is the, the new head of technology at our fictional company. And um, they call him T-Mill. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he was really based in uh, a character we worked with a, a real life guy we worked with, um, who is a head of technology at a company that we consulted for. And, you know, not particularly touching, but but just a, a moment before I get into the story is that um, what struck us and this is so you know, this shows you how low the bar is sometimes for good executive <laughs> behavior. But we were struck immediately that the guy never looked at his phone or carried a laptop around with him to meetings. He was the most in the moment um, executive I've ever seen. And we have been so conditioned to multitask every time we talk to somebody. So you're never giving somebody your full attention. You're never really listening. And this was a guy who would, you know, C-level executive would walk into a break room and to make tea and just to chat with employees and see what's on their minds. And it was weird. And that shouldn't be weird. That yeah. should be common, but it was rare. Um, so, so again, we, we have worked with good executives and we, we try to prop them up in the books as well. Um, but, but I'll point to a really personal story of a, a CEO that I worked with years ago who um, it was a really, really tough day at the company where we were laying off a couple thousand employees at this 
very large global corporation. And, um, and it was a tough day. I mean, it was a really tough day. And he had to stand up in front of everybody in the corporate office in this big meeting and basically say just that. It's going to be a very tough day. And then everybody goes off to individual meetings to find out if they're going to have a job at the end of the day or not. It's a horrible situation for any company um, to go through, any employee base to go through. And I remember standing there, um, you know, he kind of in the backstage, if you will, area of the, of the campus, waiting for him to go out there and announce this horrible thing to all of his employees. And, and I was just thinking through the day, because it was my job, you know, think through what he has to say, think through his remarks, think through the schedule. And he walked over to me, kind of waved off the other people around him, um, walked over to me and said, are, hey, Jen, are you, are you okay? And I said, oh, what? Hmm? Yep, I'm okay. And he's like, no, no, seriously, like, you look like you're, you're not okay. Like, is there something I, you want to talk about it? And I'm like, you are 90 seconds away from standing up in front of thousands of employees and telling them that this is going to probably be one of the worst days of their career. And he not only saw the look on my face, but cared enough to come over and say, are you okay? And, and again, those moments shouldn't be rare, but that sticks out for me in my career as one of those wonderfully human, compassionate moments from a leader that's just human being to human being, just taking care of each other. That, that should be more common. Yeah, that, that ought to be the, the norm and, um, and, you know, and not a quality reserved only for, um, you know, for female executives. I think it's a, absolutely, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, you know, those are so tough. I mean, I've, I've walked through that with clients, um, in the past in, um, you know, when, when we had the, the oil and gas downturn in Canada, I don't know if that made, you know, the news probably would it would have been in parts of the mm. U S as well, but just the, you know, plummeting of the value of oil. And, you know, I was in, in Calgary on many occasions sitting with executives who were about to do something similar with less magnitude because there's less people, but yeah, I mean, you've got a few hundred people that are about to walk out the door and they're wondering like, you know, what do you say? It's like, well, it, it actually is not so much about what you say. It's going to be how you say it. Um, Cause there's no pretty way to say, you know, we're, we're exiting half the company here, you know, to use some right. business jargon, right. but I find, and I, I don't know, my, my experience has been that I think um, we, we want to hide behind that kind of language. And you've both written about this. I know you've written some, some content around layoff announcements, but in particular, where does, you know, where does the compassion piece show up and how, how should someone, um, how much, how brave should they be in expressing that? Cause this, I mean, what I'm hearing is, you know, more, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think, and you're right. I, I love the use of the word brave because it, it does require you to be brave to, to show that human side. For some reason, we put people on a pedestal, whether they're business executives stars and people wrong all the time it's right a certain type of leadership and um just being human is is really what connects people as, as you said earlier and i think that starts with um you need to do it in the normal everyday um uh, situations to be able to do it in the tough situations so if you're not authentic and if you aren't connecting with people um as you conduct business on a day-to-day -day basis they're not going to believe you or buy into what you're saying when you have to give them a tough message 
Um, so I think, it, you know, for those for whom it doesn't come naturally, it probably requires some practice and some effort. And that's why a lot of executives do have coaches to help them with what, what's, you know, too often called the soft skills. But I think um, if you can connect with people um, in a normal everyday business environment, you'll have a better job of delivering um, the difficult messages with compassion. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that out. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you do as well. You get brought in and you're asked for your advice on like, and how should I bring up this, you know, this tough message, a tough conversation. It's like, well, a year ago or 10 years ago, you should have started with the small stuff. Yes. You know, right, right. Don't wait, don't wait for your big mountaintop moment to flex your compassion muscle or whatever, yes. whatever the muscle is that you need to be working. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the little simple coaching techniques that we use. And again, for us, coaching is much more communications focused, but um, in, in everyday business environments or in media interviews, we always tell executives, explain this to the reporter or talk to this group of employees as if you're having a glass of wine on your deck and talking to your neighbor across the fence. Drop the big $3 words and drop the, you know, all the phrases and terms that make you sound that you think make you sound smart and just talk to somebody the way you would your neighbor who doesn't understand your business at all. And even that's just a really simple technique in, in terms of communicating on a more human to human basis instead of, you know, talking at someone and reciting lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we just, we're so used to seeing it, the kind of the cold or the distant language that comes out when, when, and even, and not even on the hard stuff, but just even when people are talking about their strategies, it's like, oh my gosh, it sounds mind numbing, but I know you're excited by it. <laughs> what's, you know, what's going on? Um, so I want to, I want to change gears a little bit and, and ask you to, I want to delve into this idea of, you know, gender and communication. And there is a, there's a lot of, in, at least in my view, there's a lot of content out there um, helping you know, supporting women around, oh, well, you know, watch out for upspeak and, and, you know, other, you know, gendered things. And so lots of guidance out there as if, you know, women need to fix something. Not a lot for men, even, even though, you know, I certainly see in my work, I would imagine you do too. There's a lot of room for improvement around, and, and there's, there's definitely some gender differences in, in the way men and women communicate, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what your views are on, you know, maybe we can just pick one in terms of voice. Like my experience has been, we as, as men have a very difficult time with expression, like, you know, actually getting out of the, being a dial tone. Um, and, and I don't know if you've seen that, but I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about that. Maybe some other, some other gender differences to maybe, um, you know, make, make men aware of some of the things that might be hampering their communication style. Yeah, wow, it's a good, chewy topic to bring up. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and yeah, some of us base our career in things like that. So yeah, it's um, great. So yeah, so let's, yeah, let's start with the idea that, yeah, there, there are some differences in how genders communicate, and I, I think that's fair. Um, there are also, um, yes, m many more rules, I think, that are placed out there for women in communication because I think naturally and stereotypically women tend to be more expressive and emotional and 
uh, and, and I don't mean over emotional, I mean, just showing emotion or being able to, you know, storytell and that kind of thing. Yeah. They actually express um, what they, what they're feeling as opposed yes. to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. More expressive because that's, that's somehow, you know, that society tells us that's more acceptable um, that, that a woman do that rather than a man. Um, and also, um, you, you know, let's just put it out on the table that, you know, I, I naturally stand with my hands on my hips all the time. And I've been told numerous times to stop doing that because it's an intimidating gesture for a woman to stand with my hands on my hips. And, um, and I will, I will say that I've never stopped doing that because, you know, if, if you if you think that's intimidating, that's on you, not me. But anyway, all that aside, I agree that I think, um, men are traditionally told in business to communicate in a way, I love the term dial tone. Um, don't show too much emotion because that shows weakness. Don't be too expressive with your gestures or your hands because that can look like a little panicky or a little, you know, too out there. And I think the pendulum has swung so far for men that it comes off comes off as like your worst lecturing, boring professor you've ever had in college. <laughs> yeah. And you put people to sleep. When you communicate everything at the same tone and volume, nothing's exciting, nothing's important. It's all just the same volume. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody pays attention to that. And so I think it, it, it comes from practice, but I, I think facial expressions, I think natural gesturing that stresses points, all of that can be taught. It, it can be, you can taught, you can be taught to stop doing it, but I think you can also be taught to insert those things naturally in how you speak. Um, and also I think a great place in terms of voice inflection and tone um, is, is storytelling. I mean, we are big proponents of storytelling. And I, I don't think, you know, I'm not saying that you need to have a fireside chat and spin yarns for your employees, but you, you do, I think, when you insert a story in your presentation, in your conversation, it's a natural way to tell something personal about yourself, not overly personal, but, you know, something that, that gives a little, a little inspiration, a little insight into who you are. And you naturally then get to talk about things that you're excited about or that's important to you. And it's a way that you can then practice the inflection in your voice that your eyebrows raise when you talk about, you know, coaching your kids sports and what you've learned from that and how that's made you a better leader. Um, so there are ways to practice that that aren't overly scary or that puts you over the cliff of like, oh, now I have to be this great storyteller and all emotional and all expressive, but baby steps. It's just all about baby steps. That's a funny thing. It's like, yeah, now I have to, now I have to be expressive. And, and you know, if I, whenever I hear that, I kind of wonder, I'm like, well, how, how are you in your like outside of work? Like, I, I hope this is not the way that you talk to other people, you know, whether it's at the baseball game or, you know, in your own home. Um, you know, it's part of it's just like, can you bring the, can you bring your home skills to work? Right. Absolutely. And I, I think for a lot of people, it, it goes the other way. They, they start to probably um, speak in their personal lives the way they do at work. And it's to the detriment of their relationships, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've, I know I've been guilty of that for sure. <laughs> I come home after too many days with clients and start talking to my kids <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> about the 
the weekend schedule, I'm like, oh my gosh, the weekend sounds awful. I need to stop. <laughs> this sounds like a boring weekend. I think we have a process gap that's, on Saturday. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, the strategic imperative for the weekend is really. <laughs> um, and, your, and your four-year-old is like, what? Yeah, yeah. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Well, they're great. They're great gauges. Maybe that should be, maybe that should be the tip is, is um, if you're going to go do a big presentation, see if you can present it to your, you know, maybe not a four-year-old, but you know, maybe a seven or eight-year-old and see at how many seconds in do they go, does their mind go blank? And you'll know if, right, got, if right. you're on, on the right track. That's not a bad piece of advice right there. <laughs> so what, what else, um, you know, what are, what are some other, um, you know, some, I mean, I'm, I think I'm thinking about things like sports analogies. I mean, you guys are the experts here, but what are some other areas where, where men might be unconsciously, um, you know, disconnecting from an audience and the, and the way they might communicate? Yeah. You know, I think I've got a couple of them. Uh, the sports analogies are not, are not, uh, are, you know, that's a, a decent one. Um, although I, I just tapped into an interesting conversation on Twitter, I think it was earlier this week, or it might've been last week about, you know, some people coming forward and saying, you know, some women saying, wait, what do you mean? I love sports. You know, a sports analogy doesn't turn me off. Um, I think military analogies, um, are probably mm. even more masculine I than totally sports. Agree. Yep. And, and I think for me, I actually weighed in on that conversation and said, you know, for me, those, the sports and military metaphors are more about overuse than they are about so much masculine or feminine. It's just been done to death in, in the business world. And, and back to Jennifer's point about storytelling, you know, so, you know, I could, I could give you a metaphor on how a pitcher decides to throw which pitch at which time in the game. And that's another boring sports metaphor, but I could tell you about, you know, a certain individual and what he or she has gone through to achieve that ultimate greatness. Now that's a story about a person in a sports setting. And to me, that's not as off-putting as, or boring as a metaphor. Um, I think another thing that men run into, in addition to the monotone that you, you mentioned earlier, is just um, the volume of their voices. And I, I've seen a lot of men, senior executive men, and they laugh really loud. And especially in a, like in a meeting setting, I think it's, um, it's sort of a subtle passive aggressive way for them to, you know, take control of the room or get noticed within the room. Um, and, and a lot of times when a lot of, you know, side chatter breaks out, it's usually um, a man who tries to speak above everybody and, and try and sort of establish himself as, as the person who's going to bring order to the, to the situation. So um, I, there's, there's one executive I have in mind. I'm just thinking of when I, when I tell this story, because he just, he's a very loud speaker and a loud laugher. And I've seen the body language of people around him that don't enjoy his presence in the meetings, mostly women, but I think I see it in men as well. And as Mike is telling the story, he's looking at me and I know he's trying to like telegraph to me who he's talking about. <laughs> and I can't remember who it is. You'll have to tell me later because I can't remember. We'll take that one offline. Yeah, okay, you, all right, got it. you could take that one and share that one afterwards. Um, yeah, exactly. So can you, can you say a bit more um, about, about leaving space? Because you've talked about being loud you know, and again, I'll, and I'll, I'll leave it to your expertise here, but it, you know, one of the things I've noticed and is, is we in, in corporate settings, you know, I have to watch this too when I'm, when I'm coaching consulting is just taking up too much space. Um, that mm. could, and that's generally not, not like there's two pieces of it. I see, I see it in the body language side, but I also hear it in, you know, over speaking or, you know, not leaving room um, in particular where you have, you know, most, 
most of corporate America, North America, you know, it's heavily imbalanced as far as, um, uh, as far as gender and you get so many more men than, than women. Like, so aside from just, you know, being a better communicator, what about being a, you know, a, um, communicating less? Is there some truth to that or, or some, some things that you've seen or some ways that men can check themselves? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a great, great question. Um, and, and you're right. And then, you know, to Mike's earlier point, um, I think, I think men especially, um, you know, tend to be just larger. They loom larger in, in meetings and in conversations than women just because of their physical stature. I mean, mm-hmm. men tend to be taller. Men tend to be, you know, broader in shoulder. And again, you know, just kind of stereotyping, but I mean, it's true. It's all general. So, yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're I mean, in generalities here for sure. Right. In, in general. And so I, I think, you know, I've had this conversation just recently, like in the last month, in fact, um, with, with somebody I was working with, um, a, a, a larger man who said, you know, he is always very aware of his presence and how intimidating he can appear, this, you know, tall, broad-shouldered man, when he leans forward in across the table with a table full of people, it is a different feel than if I were to lean forward to the table. I might look like I am, you know, intent and listening, but for him, because he's just a big dude, he comes off as kind of intimidating. And so I think there's something about just being aware of your physical space. And that's whether you gesture a lot, whether you, um, you know, when you're talking with somebody, I, I worked with an executive one time who was a very, very tall man. And he always made a point when you were talking with him, most people looked up at him, literally, you know, they would, they, he yeah. loomed over them and he would have to look down at them. And he was so aware of that. When you spoke to him, he always like backed up and leaned against a table or sat oh. on the corner of the table or leaned against a chair so that he could look at you more eye level. And I thought that was so self-aware. Um, and again, you know, it, it's just, it's just polite. <laughs> it's just polite so that, you know, you, you are again, being aware of your physical space. And I think that's a really important thing besides just being aware of the tone of your voice and how booming your voice naturally is. If you have a big booming bass voice, just be aware of how even, um, it actually more impactful you can be when you quiet your tone down. Um, you know, there's a reason why, um, I'm going to throw back a movie here, but if you've seen the devil wears Prada, yeah. um, uh, you know, the, the lead character there, right. She, um, and I'm trying to remember the character's name. I can't remember what her name, but the one who ran the magazine, right. Um, she originally was supposed to be a really shrill speaker. Like she would yell at people, but she went really soft like as an actress, her choice was like, um, Meryl Streep was like, I'm going to be very soft and tell you I'm very disappointed in you right now. And it was so scary and so much more impactful. So I'd say just be aware of, of not only tone of voice, but space. That's it. Yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. 
and I just have, you know, there's there's a, a technique too that I think um, men can use, but I mean, really anybody can use it, men men or women in in the workplace. So, again, let's let's say you're in a a big meeting, right, where there's a lot of voices and a lot of um, competing ideas going on, and you if you have something important to say, the you, you tend to sort of build yourself up and ready, be ready to jump in in that moment and probably loudly and quickly try to make your point before someone else cuts you off. And there's a technique that sort of lets you get away from that and allows you to speak a little bit more in a way, like you said, that leaves room for people to buy into your message and feel connected to it. And it's, it's just called a strategic pause. And, and the way it works is you have to set it up on the front end. So you'd say something like, I just want to make three simple points. And then you can pause. People know you have something that's coming to follow. They're not going to interrupt you. You say, we need to invest more in digital marketing. And you scan all the faces in the room and you pause again because they know they've got two more things coming. We also need to cut costs in, in tr on our travel budget. And finally, we need to be able to bring our dogs into work every day or, <laughs> or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever nice. it is. But you set it up by saying, I'm going to make a point or I'm going to make two points here. And that allows you to bring your voice down, to speak more slowly, give yourself room to speak more slowly and give other people room to connect with what you're saying rather than trying to put yourself out there and loudly, quickly get your message across. That's a, that's a really great uh, piece of guidance from, from both of you. I mean, um, I, I guess what I'm hearing in this, you know, if I'm, if I'm jumping to my listeners is like, well, wait a second, does this mean I have to practice? Because um, it doesn't, like a lot of these things don't sound like they can, you can just listen to the podcast and, and jump in. Like when you're working with clients, um, are you having them, you know, try this out other places? Are you, are you encouraging them just to, hey, just go try this out at work and see what happens? Like what's your ideal testing ground to, for them to play with these things? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of whatever is going to make you practice, <laughs> you, yeah. you use that. So, you know, I, I would say um, start with low impact conversations. You know, don't, don't try this out in the most contentious of board meetings that you have coming up tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, but try it, in, you know, when you're standing in line at the, at the you know, DMV waiting to renew your driver's license, you know, try it, strike up a conversation with the person next to you at the mailbox or, you know, something like that. I mean, um, think about, you know, when you're standing and thinking about your physical presence and things, um, do it at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> do it with, with a low stakes conversation first. Um, but, but honestly, it, it really is about practice. And if you're shy or feel strange doing the role play thing or, you know, practicing with other human beings, um, you know, our phones are wonderful things. They have video capabilities, yeah. they have audio capabilities. Set up your phone, prop it against some books. Um, practice the conversation you need to have, a couple points you need to make. Play it back. Watch how you gesture. Watch your, watch your facial expressions. Listen to your tone of voice and the volume by which you're communicating. And, and you know, just do it closed doors. But please do practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no amount of um, no amount of advice is is going to go anywhere without that. And you know, it's part of you know part of what I'm trying to do is create awareness here, but also give people, hey, you know, here's some here's some stuff you can take on. Um, it it also it also sounds like I'm I'm thinking in particular about your example of the executive who was quite tall that developed awareness around that. Um, 
you know, and this is going to be edgy and, and I'm, and again, I'm going to, I'll, I'll pile back on, on, on us here and Ben, like asking for feedback. <laughs> like I would imagine at a certain point, you can only be so self-aware you would need to check in with people to go, you know, how does it, how, how am I making the room feel? Like, does the temperature go up? Does it go down? Does it get nervous? Like how should, how should people approach that? And I'm, you know, thinking especially of men who have a hard time asking for feedback when they're looking for feedback around the way that they, they impact people in communication. Yeah. You know, I think um, the, it's, it's a really important point. And for some reason it is really hard to do. And, and I think um, it's hard to do early in our careers because we're not really aware that we should be doing it. And sometimes it's hard to do later in our careers because we've read our own press clippings and we assume <laughs> everyone loves it when we walk into the room, <laughs> right? Say something. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, Certainly that's, that's a skill to practice as well. And I know uh, senior executives have the opportunities um, to work with coaches, but not everybody does. So I would say, you know, start with, uh, start with a friendly, trusted colleague and ask for some honest feedback. And, and I think you can expand from there too. Um, and look for, uh, you know, read other people's facial expressions, read their body language. And if you see something that doesn't look right in reaction to you, ask them about it gently online or offline. Don't, don't put them on the spot, but just say, boy, when I said that, it seemed like maybe, um, maybe something I said, uh, you know, didn't, didn't feel right to you. And I, I would love to understand more about that. So again, it's, it's, um, it requires practice. It requires an, an effort. And I don't know, Jennifer, if you have anything to add. And you know, it, it requires a lot of humility and, yeah. and, you know, we're, yeah. we're all a little short on that, especially, you know, later on in our careers, like Mike said, when you, you figure, you know, it's too late to change. And I've, you know, I know everything I need to know. <laughs> that's right. And it's, that's just humans. I mean, like that's, that's what we do and that's what we think. And it's just easier just to do what we've always done. Um, but I swear you'll be a better leader with, um, with asking for that feedback. And, and I agree with Mike wholeheartedly, um, ask a trusted colleague, you know, if you are a leader standing in, a, in the middle of a meeting with all the people who report to you and you ask 35 people, well, give me your, give me your feedback. I'd love to hear what you think. No <laughs> one's going to say anything. Tell me how much you liked my presentation. Yes, right? right? So just, you know, don't send out a survey. Don't, it doesn't have to be that formal. And, it, you know, I would say ask that trusted colleague probably should be a peer, so not somebody who feels, you know, who's a direct report of yours, who feels like they have to give you positive feedback. Um, but there's nothing wrong with asking, you know, you're the head of finance. Ask your buddy from the legal department, who's a peer of yours, to sit in on your next team meeting and sit in the back and, and give some feedback at, at the end. Um, I think that's just a really nice way that you can get better. Um, and it's a lot easier to hear the feedback from somebody that's, you know, already a friend at work and somebody you trust. Yeah, I like that idea of the peer, right? I mean, assuming that you're not trying to clamor over them for, for your... Yeah, assuming uh, you're not empire building that's... and stabbing each other in the back, then yeah. Showing up at their kid's birthday party. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Um, but it, it's, it's, it seems, it's, it's interesting. Like a lot of the stuff you're offering, it's like, oh yeah, that seems so simple. Um, yet there are so many terrible, I shouldn't say terrible, there are so many uninformed communicators out there who just seem to not, you know, they seem to not be aware of, of their impact. Um, and, and in particular, you're not interested in, in, in knowing about it. Um, 
So, you know, going out and, and asking and it's, it's, it's great, simple advice, but man, it would be great if there would be more people who would do it. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about, about reading for feed, like reading, reading people for feedback. Cause you mentioned it a little bit. Um, what are, so if you're, if you're feeling like going and asking a trusted peer is, is too difficult or, um, you know, are there, are there things you should be looking for when you're not, not even when you're presenting, but even if you're just in a meeting and you're the one speaking, what are some telltale signs that, that people are, are definitely not, um, or, you know, they're not having a great reaction to what you're saying. And, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, grimace or, <laughs> you know, arms folded, what are some more subtle ones that people might not be picking up on? You know, yeah, I think for me, it really starts with eye contact. I'm, I'm just a big believer in it. And, and that's, you know, you can clean a lot from that. Um, and because if, if you make a habit of making eye contact, you can, you can often, you know, you, um, you can often find a little, a little head nod. You might see an eyebrow raised, right? You can see tiny little signs of, and it might not be disagreement. It might be, um, oh, I should speak more slowly. I should clarify this because I'm sensing a little bit of confusion on their faces. So I think if you really just make the habit of, and again, in, in informal settings, is it, it's just as important as it is in formal settings to be making eye contact with people and make sure you're connecting with them. Um, that part of it, I think, will come a, a lot more naturally um, because I think the, the huff and the folded arms and the, you know, somebody turning away is, is more of a rare instance. People, and maybe it's just here in the Midwest, but people tend to be, you know, kind of passive aggressive in, their, <laughs> in yeah. their resistance. So you can't always count on people to show you. Um, you really have to sort of um, connect with people as you are communicating with them and don't, don't communicate at them, communicate with them, make eye contact. And, you know, as, as we've said in all the other examples throughout this discussion, you know, slow down, sort of check for understanding. Jennifer, what else do you have? Yeah, and there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong, especially in a small group setting, of checking for understanding by actually stopping and asking for understanding. Okay. I mean, I think it's, it's the same principle of like when you're flipping through a PowerPoint deck, people think they need to be like, oh, I'm going to give you some secret signal to advance the slide. No, just tell me next slide. Like, like, like let's not overcomplicate this, right? So if you're in a small group setting and you're talking to people and you think that perhaps there's a little confusion or people aren't following, there's nothing wrong with pausing and saying, does, are you following? Like, does that make sense? I'm, I'm sensing maybe that I've lost some of you. Should I go back? I mean, that that's just the sign of a really good aware communicator and and it's better to bring them along as you're talking than to get to the end and realize you've lost them 20 minutes ago yeah that sounds like a good piece of advice you know for anybody it's like you know I'm, i think what i'm hearing you say is try not to turn your presentation into like a you know a, a short play where you've memorized all your lines and like the, you know, the sequence yes. of slides is perfect and every word comes out just like the president, you know, it's like, right. well, maybe not your current president, but anyway, um, yeah, fair enough. different topic. Uh, um, no, it's, is, it's true though. It's, it's, you know, don't, yeah, don't be a, a slave to a script. Don't, um, you know, again, you know, be, be present in the moment and aware enough that you are making sure that people are understanding and coming along with you. And, and if you sense that, like Mike said, like a, like a little, you know, 
cringe, maybe a little, you know, wrinkle between the eyebrows that shows like, mm, like a little consternation at the table or whatever. Um, it's a great opportunity to pause, maybe not call out Bob at the end of the table, but say, <laughs> but say, hey, I'm going to pause here right. and see what your reactions are to this. You know, just, just stop so that, you know, the conversation isn't completely derailed down the road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a beautiful place for us to, 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 um, to take this podcast across the finish line. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you, if, if I, you know, I think you, you nailed it, Jennifer, it's like being aware and having the, you know, being aware of your impact and then, and having the humility to, um, to, to ask, you know, what, what's it all about? Yeah, and and that combined with Mike, the, I love how you just keep nailing like slow down, slow down, <laughs> let people take in what you're saying, check in. Those sound like pretty important ingredients for for um, good communication, and the, certainly the two of you know a lot about that. Um, so, is there anything else that you, you know you you're 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 dying to add um, around this topic? You know, I think I would just say, you know, kind of getting back to the, you know, it, it does require practice. Communication is a, is a business discipline, just like any other business discipline. The, the thing is, we tend to think we're good at it because it's one of the few business disciplines that we do in our everyday life. We don't necessarily go home and, and pour over financial spreadsheets or create a, an org chart in our spare time, but we're always communicating with people around us. So sometimes we, we sort of take for granted that it is a, a discipline. It's a skill that requires practice and, and effort, just like anything else you do in the workplace. Yeah. And I just add to that, you know, we didn't even talk about written communication. Oh um, yes. That is still a really important thing that, that everyone needs to do. But I would say two quick tips on that. When you write something for, you know, especially something sensitive or, you know, something for a, a large group of employees, um, number one, read out loud what you've written. And I, I don't mean just like whisper it. I mean, read it out loud like you're saying it to somebody. And if you can't get through a sentence without taking a breath because it's too long, break it into two sentences. I mean, write it like you <laughs> will read it. And if it sounds like a sentence no human being would ever utter out loud, then you're going to have to get some jargon out of there and make it sound human. And then the second thing is have somebody else read it before you send it out. And that is will always be my tip for people. Um, they will catch things that you, and I'm not just talking typos, but they will catch, you know, um, failures in thinking and, <laughs> and mismatch strategy and things that can be misread. Um, somebody will always catch something. So please find, again, trusted colleagues, somebody who can read it before you send it out. I like it. So feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, we, you know, we started this podcast talking about um, your, your careers and, and um, the, the two novels you've written. Um, it was BS Incorporated. And then obviously I read Operation Clusterpuck. Uh, I, I mean, those are, they're hilarious books. If you've ever worked anywhere in, you know, in a corporate environment of any size, I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's, they're, they're both funny. And then also, you know, there's, if you, if you're starting to notice either yourself or shades of yourself or shadows of yourself in those characters, then, you know, there it might be time to, 
to get some help around communication. Um, and I, you know, and thank you both for sharing your, your wisdom. I mean, you mentioned your 40 plus years of experience. Like it's, it's been great to go through some of the, the really deep nuances with you in this cast. And, and I really was, was happy to turn the tables and stop giving women advice about communication and offer it um, to the men listening out there. So I appreciate you playing along. Where can people go to find out more about you? Sure. Um, so there's a couple of places where you can learn more about our books and our business. Uh, you can go to rockandvossbooks.com. That's probably the best place to start because you can um, order the books from there uh, from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or direct from our distributor. But you can also link um, to our website, which is um, rockandvosscommunications.com. Is that right? No, rock. It's rock.boss.com. Oh We're so good at communicating. We, <laughs> that's why we some, you have a team, right? That's why you want yeah. to too, right? This is why you get feedback and you, offer, <laughs> you always have somebody give you the opportunity to weigh in before you go live with it. So yes, it's, it's rock.boss.com. Perfect. Thank awesome. you both for dialing in at the end of your of your day in Minneapolis or maybe not I hope hopefully it's coming soon and it's been a it's been a treat and I'm glad that uh I'm glad we made the made the connection you know across the continent almost obviously I know Mike you spent some time in Vancouver but it's um yeah it's been a pleasure and and again thank you for for the books thank you for bringing some humor to the corporate world and and for bringing the wisdom to our listeners out there around um, communicating like pro so well thank you so much for having us it was a pleasure thanks all right. We'll uh, talk to you both soon. All right. That's all she wrote for episode 28 with Jennifer Ross and Michael Voss from rock.voss. I've linked up all their info in the show notes. Definitely get in touch with them if you've got anything big going on in uh, the world of communication in your business. Uh, and their books, I got to tell you, they make amazing airplane reads. They're really good business satire, um, and I took a lot away from reading them. All right, if you enjoyed the cast, once again, I'd love to hear your comments. You can do that on my website at travisstreb.com and the podcast page. You can leave me a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for episode 29.